well, top of the morning to you, lady. It is St. Patrick's Day, Mike, but uh, I don't think that means we need to break out our Irish accents. Oh, I think we're going to do the whole show like this. <laughs> I don't think I can. I don't think I could do the markets in that voice. I don't think I could I go think, all the way through it. I think we might have more people subscribe to listen to us if you tried. Oh, here we go. Let's take a look at the markets. <laughs> oh, should we start there at the corn market? I don't know what they call corn in Ireland. You've been there. What do they call it? I haven't been to Ireland. I just have some friends from Ireland. Gotcha. I think they call it corn, unless they they also have Gaelic as their other national. That's technically their national language, so it's probably called something different in Gaelic. I bet it is. Well, I suppose for those of you turning tuning in for the first time, my name is Mike Pearson. I'm the host here at Ag News Daily, but not the only host. I have a fantastic co-host, Delaney Howell. That's right. So, Delaney, we have a lot of things going on. It is St. Patrick Day. It's the end of the week. And and it's nice outside. At least here in Iowa, it's nice. Right. Here in central Iowa, it's 55 degrees on my way in. Mm -hmm. I've got my shirt sleeves rolled up. Lots of people out walking around celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, some of them already walking with a uh, a little bit of a noticeable lean. They've been (laughs) celebrating a little bit. Well, should we start off, close the week off with the market outlook? Yes, let's do that. Let's take a look at the corn market first. May corn closed up one and a half cents at three sixty-seven and a half. Dees new crop corn up two and a quarter at three eighty-nine and three quarters. Over in the soybean pit, May twenty-seven soybeans, twenty seventeen soybeans held on to that ten dollar mark. They dropped one and a half cents. Novi beans new crop down two cents at nine ninety-three and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, it was up. May wheat was up a quarter at 436 and a quarter. Jumping down into the cattle markets, we had another day of strength here in live cattle. Uh, April contract closed up 125 to close at 119.3 and a quarter. And March up 77 cents to close at 131.325. Jumping over to look at the lean hog markets, the April lean hog contract dropped 90 cents today to close the week at $69 even. Something interesting as we look at this cattle market, Cassie Fish, who writes for the fantastic blog, thebeefread.com, made an interesting note. This was the first time since 2009 that the fat cash index and the feeder cash index have closed oh boy right within eyeshot of one another she calls it spitting distance and that tells you there's going to be a divergence coming at some point will it be fats breaking back to the downside or will it come as feeders make a move to the upside and i've got to say the the trend sentiment with this wall of beef that's allegedly going to come as we get into april and may would suggest that fats could move to the downside. So Mm -hmm. that's something to keep an eye on there as we uh, look out into the future. Delaney, more things happening in D.C. today. What did you notice over there in Washington? Yep. So Purdue's Senate state has been set for March 23rd. So we'll bring you an update um, on that when that goes through. But I think it's pretty safe to say that his approval is going to be confirmed. Not a whole lot of opposition that you've heard? Right. Okay. Well, and it seems as though he's going to be a pretty good voice for agriculture. Definitely. He understands it, uh, a lot of different perspectives. You know, as a Midwesterner, as an Iowan, gosh, you love to see the secretary be from your home state, but I think Sonny's going to uh, probably do a pretty good job for us. Yeah, I agree. You know, there was more happening in D.C. as well. There was a group, a bipartisan group of 23 senators, so it was 17 Democrats and 6 Republicans, that uh, wrote to Donald Trump yesterday 
asking him to leave the point of obligation unchanged in the RFS. That was the the kerfuffle that happened <laughs> last week when uh, you know the alleged report came out that they were going to move the point of obligation. Uh, now we've got a bipartisan group pushing for it to stay the same. So we'll see how that shakes out as time goes on. But uh, it's interesting how that just jumped into the headlines. We have a few contacts at RFS and also at Biodiesel. So we'll hopefully have some people on within the next week or two to talk about that. You bet. We'll reach out to them. Now, uh, there's also been some things happening down in the South, Delaney. Yes, there has. So there have now been two cases of avian influenza, um, the high pathogen variety, confirmed in Lincoln County, Tennessee. Lincoln County, Tennessee. Okay. Gotcha. So it's it hasn't impacted other states yet. Not yet. Gotcha. Well, and hopefully, hopefully they can keep it under wraps because right. you know that is all those uh, export bans come down on those states. I know Wisconsin and Tennessee are currently under them in their poultry sectors. Gosh, you hate to see that spread. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be something to watch. You know, as we talk about the South, that's in the Southeast, over towards our Southwest. I know a lot of our listeners have been paying close attention to the uh, tremendous devastation caused by the wildfires that have happened in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, and, and I guess a little bit into Colorado. And I just want to throw this out there to people. There's a great story in the High Plains Journal today. It was authored by Doug Rich, posted this morning. He does an incredible job laying out exactly, he paints a picture with words what is happening down in, uh, in Kansas. And I tell you, it is a heartbreaking tale to read. So if you have the capability, get online, look that story up. For those of us, and I'm in this group, I've never faced a severe wildfire. That's never been something I've had to consider or deal with on the ranch. And oh, my heart just goes out to these folks. And I know that's true of a lot of people here in the heartland. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the major concerns isn't just the right now effects, but the long-term effects of, you know, what are they going to do to have grazing ground? That ground is being eliminated. So Yes. And one of the concerns I heard earlier today was that unless they get some rain shortly and begin to get some of that uh, green regrowth coming up, there's nothing holding that soil in place Mm -hmm. across over a million acres of the Great Plains. So we might see some erosion. That's the worry. Um, Could be a potential for another Dust Bowl type setup. Hmm. Now, a lot of folks up here in Iowa, the upper Midwest, well, across the country, a lot of farmers have been looking for ways to reach out and lend their assistance. A lot of hay has been donated. It has. And I don't know if they if they still need some more. If you are, have hay to donate and you want to reach out and find exactly where it's most needed, agweb.com slash wildfires has a great resource for folks to get on there. You can connect with the Kansas Livestock Association, connect to folks in Colorado, Oklahoma, and in Texas. And uh, I know for one thing, they are looking for fencing materials because, of course, a lot of those fences went up in flames as well. So if you've got time or a truck and you want to to help out your your fellow farmer or rancher, check out agweb.com slash wildfires and see how you can best lend your support. You know, I think that's just great. The agricultural community is not like any others. I mean, we're very supportive of each other. It doesn't matter if you know someone or not. We're always there to help. Yes, and I've seen on Twitter and on Facebook photos and videos of the convoys of hay trucks moving down into Kansas. And not a whole lot of press has happened on the national level. This has been a quiet, farmer-driven effort. And uh, I tip my hat to all of you who have taken the time to to make a donation and, uh, and help 
help out those who are definitely in need. And it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned the mainstream media hasn't touched on this. Um, I follow a farmer on Snapchat. His name is Jay Hill. He's out of New Mexico. And he was mentioning yesterday in his Snapchat story that agriculture doesn't need mainstream media. We handle our situations and our problems on our own, whether the media is involved or not. So I think it's really heartwarming to see this happening. It is. You know, we're an industry where it does seem like we all kind of know one another. And even if we don't know each other by name, we know each other by situation. It's we can put ourselves in their shoes. And I think that's what's been happening as we look at these wildfires. But we don't want to spend the whole show uh, talking about wildfires. We want to encourage all of you to donate if you can. But we also had a fantastic opportunity to have a discussion this morning with a very interesting individual. Delaney, tell us who we're going to talk to. Well, I had the opportunity of meeting Todd Jansen at the Commodity Classic in San Antonio a few weeks ago. Stopped by a booth, and he happened to be sitting there, and he represents Jansen Law Firm, which is his own firm. And he's going to talk to us today about ag data transparency. So that's been kind of a hot-button issue right now, especially with the American Farm Bureau pushing that issue through of who owns the data. So let's get it rolling. Let's do that. And it's interesting to learn exactly who does own that data. So stay tuned. Todd, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Do you want to start by maybe just telling us your background? Uh, Sure. Yes. Uh, I grew up on a farm in south central Kansas, and it was a diverse operation. We raised uh, wheat, uh, sorghum, uh, and beef cattle for the most part, and also a few uh, pigs as well. Um, And uh, decided to go to law school after college, and uh, the first job that I got was at a law firm uh, where – Uh, They had a number of environmental cases involving agriculture. So these were typically farmers that had, um, I'd say, uh, manure-related issues uh, for, uh, you know, large dairy farms or swine farms. And uh, as a farm kid myself turned lawyer, I was the guy who always raised my hand and said, let me handle this one, let me work on this case. And so over the years, I really started to do a lot more in the ag law space and um, that kind of uh, morphed into other things over time. And as uh, ag data became a hot-button legal issue, I started to take a real interest in that as well. And so uh, all of this really came to a head in, uh, I'd say, about 2014, 2015, uh, when a couple things happened for me. Uh, one was that I decided to start my own ag law firm uh, that uh, would focus just on agricultural legal topics. Um, And that's been just a lot of fun since I started doing that. Um, And that's the Jansen Ag Law Firm. Uh, The other one uh, that happened around that time was that um, I got selected to work on a project with American Farm Bureau and National Farmers Union and another a number of uh, commodity groups like uh, corn, soy, wheat, and sorghum uh, to work on this project called the Ag Data Transparency Evaluator. And so uh, those two things together have made my life very exciting the last couple of years. Now, Todd, how did you get from, you said southeastern Kansas is where you grew up? Uh, South Central, just north of Wichita a little ways. Oh, gotcha. Okay. How did you get from South Central Kansas to Indianapolis? What prompted that move? Well, uh, I would say mostly it was a spouse because my <laughs> wife was from Central Indiana, 
And uh, as I we wrapped up college and we're looking at the next chapter of our lives, uh, we, I decided to go to graduate school. And uh, there were a number of good opportunities in Indiana, and so uh, we picked up and moved to Central Indiana, and have been here ever since. Gotcha. That is that is a neat city to be in there in Indy. It is. Yeah, it really is. So let's just get right into the meat and bones here of what we really wanted to talk to you about. Like you mentioned, ag data has been a hot-button issue. So why did you decide to get involved? Did the American Farm Bureau approach you? How did, how did that process work? So it really worked because um, I was working with some clients uh, who had some ag data issues and were at the point where they were, uh, I'd say, traditional agricultural firms but they were looking at adding cloud-based platforms to start collecting farm data and then uh, providing some value back to farmers uh, with analytics and other things. And so through my work uh, with those companies, um, I I got drug into some discussions uh, with American Farm Bureau and uh, some other industry players uh, who were really – trying to figure out where this whole ag data thing was going to go. And maybe I should even back up a little bit further. I know um, American Farm Bureau, which is a really grassroots organization, was starting to hear from its members that there were issues and concerns with uh, what's going to happen, you know, 10 years from now when all uh, agricultural data is collected and then stored somewhere and who's going to control that? You know, are, are farmers still going to be the ones that have the ultimate control, or is this uh, power and control going to be ceded to, uh, you know, other companies in the space? And so they got everyone around the table, uh, all the big industry players, and said, we want to set some ground rules and come up with some basic principles that everyone can agree on uh, with respect to agricultural data. And so in uh, 2014, towards the end of that year, uh, a document was released called the Privacy and Security Principles for Farm Data. And that was really a group effort um, to come up with these, what I call the core principles. And through some work with some clients, I was lucky to be involved in that process. And that's really what got me deeply involved in the ag data space. Gotcha. Now, as we think about ag data and farmer ownership, so much of it comes back to what are farmers, what are what is anybody agreeing to when we open up that new piece of software or that new piece of hardware and it says, accept these terms and conditions, and we all just, or at least I should say I, just scroll to the bottom, <laughs> click OK, let's get this puppy installed. Is that is it that type of terms and conditions that, that you're looking to assess to determine how it can benefit or potentially harm farmers? Yes, that's exactly what uh, we're taking a look at. And, and so the ag data transparent, um, uh, I, I guess you'd call it an effort or a, a process, uh, was really like phase two of this coming up with the core principles for our ag data. And, you know, these the groups and uh, Farm Bureau and others said, okay, it's great that um, we've got these principles that we all agree with, but how do we make sure that companies really abide by them? And so that's where the Ag Data Transparent uh, effort came about, was uh, 
it was agreed that what we would do is try and award companies that do abide by these an ag data transparent seal that they can use on their marketing materials. And the way that they get that seal is they they send like that those terms and conditions that you were just talking about. They send those in for an evaluation. Uh, they have to answer a set of 10 questions about those and then uh, we conduct a review and say, okay, are these answers uh, that they've provided uh, what's actually in their policies? And if they are, then they can use the Ag Data Transparent Seal on their marketing materials. And so if you look at the agdatatransparent.com website, you can see the companies that have been through this process. And it's a voluntary effort, so you know we don't go out and evaluate companies that don't come to us, uh, but... Um, so I would say that, uh, you know, I, I really commend the companies that have been through this because they have subjected themselves to this sort of evaluation uh, with really the only value that they get from it is to uh, use the Ag Data Transparent Seal. And so it, it, to me, it's, it shows a lot about these companies that it was important enough to them to go through this to to get that seal so they can show that to their farmer customers. When a farmer sees that a company has that seal of approval, what should that mean to them? So that means that this company has uh, subjected themselves to an evaluation. And when I say evaluation, uh, what we're really doing when we do the evaluation is looking to see are their contracts honest and transparent with farmers. And to make it easier than wading through the you know, the, the whatever, 10 pages of legal uh, terms and conditions uh, that, Mike, you were talking about. Uh, what we've done is we've posted the answer to their 10 questions about what they do with ag data on uh, the website. And so, you know, our thought is that, you know, maybe farmers don't want to read through all those terms and conditions, but they can at least go to the website and say, okay, what are the, the basic things that are happening if I sign up for this? Uh, you know, and, you know, for example, question one, we ask, what is the information that you're collecting from the farmer? And so right off the bat, the companies say, these are the different categories of, of data that we're collecting. And I'll tell you, from doing these sort of evaluations, you would think that that would be really clear with in a company's policy, but it's really not for a lot of companies. Um, and so going through this evaluation is has forced companies to say, okay, we need to define what we're collecting from farmers so that they know. Otherwise, you know, a lawyer will draft it uh, for the company's benefit as broadly as possible to make sure that uh, it's maybe not as clear as it could be. Right. More of a CYA policy, so to speak. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the things that's so important as we look out to the future is ownership of data who retains the ownership who could potentially monetize this data when a farmer sees the uh, transparency seal of approval is that a guarantee that they'll retain ownership or is it just that the ownership is spelled out clearly that that's a really hard question because i think that there isn't a clear uh, way of defining what is data ownership in the law today. And huh. so, um, you know, knowing that that is a challenge, uh, what we've asked companies to do and what we evaluate is, does the policy have a statement on the company's uh, view of data ownership? And so we require the companies to say something about it, 
we don't require them to say the farmer owns the data or we own the data or anything like that. Uh, we just, you know, I think as the law sorts that question out, uh, maybe we'll be able to fine tune that question even more. But as of right now, um, I, I, I don't think it's real clear, um, you know, who owns uh, what data. So as as you mentioned, as that as the law gets sorted out, does that mean that it's going to take Precedent, are farmers going to have to sue companies and vice versa to establish some type of legal precedent for ownership? Is that where we are today? Uh, I think it will. It, this will happen, you know, through the courts on its own, the way things are right now. You know, an example might be um, there's a case I know that's pending uh, a number of poultry growers have sued a number of integrators to say that uh, the data that these integrators are collecting um, is data that should be uh, owned and controlled by the farmers. And, you know, because these uh, poultry integrators are collecting it, they believe that there's been some uh, collusion among them and that they're sharing information. And now, of course, the, the plaintiffs are going to have to prove all of that, and that'll be, a, I think, a challenging claim to make but i think cases like that courts will end up having to look at this issue of data ownership and will make some determinations about it because you know data ownership isn't established in the law anywhere what ends up establishing it is what's in the contracts so you've got to know what's in your contract so for our listeners i think we have a large listening population that is probably um, predominantly farmers so for those farmers that are looking through companies and I guess what should they be looking for in companies that don't have the seal? What in the contracts or agreements, what specific keywords or things should they identify to figure out who owns that data? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing I'd say is they should ask their companies, uh, you know, why don't you have the seal? You know, what's, what's so hard about getting the seal? And, you know, I think that'd be an interesting conversation to listen in on because it's really not that difficult to get. It just takes a little bit of time and effort and money on behalf of these companies to obtain it. Um, but if I was, you know, if I was a farmer and I wanted to ask my company a few questions, um, I would ask a lot of the same questions that we ask in the evaluation, like what's the data that you're collecting? Uh, what rights uh, do I have to consent uh, to how that data is shared, um, and can I pull that data back out if I am done using your program uh, or software, you know, at the the end of a year or two years or whatever my contract term might be. Gotcha, Todd. And could you uh, could you tell us the website where folks can understand and read more about the ten principles? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's agdatatransparent.com. And that's where you can see the evaluations. You can see the uh, eight companies that have been through the evaluation and their answers, and you can read the 10 questions. And is there instructions on there for who to tell my hardware or software supplier, who to tell them to contact to get certified? Yes, so on the uh, website itself, uh, there's a, there are two big buttons when you log on. The green button is for farmers to look and read evaluations, and then there's a, a, a gray button uh, for companies that go on and say, we want to obtain the Ag Data Transparent seal, and they can look at that. They click that, and it, it opens a form, and they submit their information, and then that kicks off the evaluation. 
interesting. Now, can I ask you to take a step back, look out into the future. Will there one day be a marketplace for data? Do you think will farmers be able to to add data to their cash crops, so to speak, at some point? Uh, you know, I think it really depends who you ask. There's There are companies like uh, Farm Mobile out there that are already monetizing data and say they can return uh, certain dollars to farmers uh, if they are willing to uh, put their data in the pool. Um, you know, and I think there are other companies that say we can return value in the form of analytics or prescriptions or things like that. And so, you know, it's hard to put a dollar figure on the value of those things. But uh, the the question you asked is, like, will there be a market for the data itself? And I think, I think the answer is yes. Um, whether or not that is a real value to farmers, I, for sure, if you're a, a large farmer, right, and you've got 10,000 acres, I think there'd be a, a significant value there. If you're a smaller farmer, I think it gets harder, right? Like, uh, because it's it's not going to be you know, $50 an acre or something like that. It's going to be a couple dollars an acre or cents an acre of what the value is because I guess, you know, looking ahead, you you have to think the value is in the information being shared, and that, that means that any given acre by itself isn't going to be terribly valuable, but a number of acres together might be. Right. It's the aggregation that matters, not necessarily your 60 or 80 acre parcel right yep interesting todd now uh you are on twitter yes and what is your twitter handle uh it is at jansen law j-a-n-z-e-n that's right so if we have some listeners that maybe have questions can they tweet at you ask you questions are you pretty responsive with that Yes, I, I try and check Twitter at least once a day, so that'd be great. I'd love to hear from people. All right. Well, Todd, if you don't have anything else that you think we're missing, a key piece to the puzzle. Uh, the only other thing I would say is I also do a ag law blog where I write about ag and technology, and uh, you can find that if you go to my uh, firm website, which is uh, aglaw.us. And people can just register via email there? Uh, yes. If you uh, enter your email there, you can be on a mailing list, and then monthly we send out all the uh, blog posts. So that's an easy way to stay informed on uh, what I'd say are more like ag and technology-focused issues. Perfect. All right. Well, Todd, I want to thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Hey, thanks, Todd. We'll let you get going, and I uh, hope you have a great day. Thank you, Mike and Delaney. I really appreciate it. Again, that was Todd Jansen with Jansen Ag Law Firm. You know, it's interesting as we are in really a new area of ag law, data management, data ownership. All of these things are going to be sorted out. So farmers and, and anybody, I guess this doesn't just apply to agriculture. When you get those, I don't know what they call them, the, the things I always click accept on. 
to get access. The agreement terms. Yes, terms and conditions. Yes, yes thank you. Um, pay attention. There's some, there's some big issues out there that we're going to be grappling with going forward. There are. And I think it's kind of a dry topic sometimes. You know, it's not necessarily one that's filled with humor, but it's a serious subject for farmers. It is serious. And looking out down the line, how can we monetize it in agriculture? Because we know there's value in it. We just don't yet have a method to extract that value. But I think we'll get there. Time will tell. Right. I agree. Delaney, speaking of data, you can now find Ag News Daily on the iTunes store. You can. We got it pushed through. You can also find us in Google Play Music. Yes. We are available on there. And that means pretty much any podcasting source you use, you can find Ag News Daily. So be sure to spread it around and subscribe so that you get notifications straight to you when we have a new podcast drop. You bet. And continue to send us your thoughts, what we should talk about, what you want to hear talk about, and folks you'd like to hear us interview, and we will get right on it. And with that, Delaney, would you like to wish everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day? (laughs) Well, I don't know if I can do the Irish accent. Try it. Happy St. Pat... Nope, I can't. Aim for effort. Pulling out some Bulgarian there or something. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we want to wish all of you a very merry... St. Patrick's Day, (laughs) and uh, good luck getting up tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, we will see you again on Monday.